We're going to focus today on um, the response of Jesus to the um, religious leaders here. And, and as we look at the passage, I want to look at the passage in the sense of let's address the very issues that um, they were addressing. But what I also want us to see is that in the response of Jesus, um, there are other, other things that are implied that answer a lot of questions that people are asking in the culture today. Um, you know, this, this is one of the things I love about the scriptures. You know, the person who says the Bible is this archaic, <coughs> excuse me, this archaic, this outdated, irrelevant text, the people who say that, uh, the first thing you know about them is they've never actually read the biblical text because when you read it, you find it's not that at all. Wow, it's speaking to current things. It's speaking to uh, issues that we're asking questions about uh, even here in the 21st century. So think about some of these questions. Some of the big questions in the culture today are about origins. Where did we come from? I mean, that's been a debate that's been going on for quite some time. We've got questions about identity. We've got questions about marriage, gender, family, children, and all of these kinds of things are front and center in our culture. And right here in the text that we read, uh, we have Jesus addressing uh, the very issues and questions that people are asking today. And so uh, that, that's the way we want to approach it. We want to draw some of the things out that are implied in what Jesus said in his answer to these religious leaders when they approached him on the issue of marriage and divorce. So let's, um, let's pick up and just read from verse two. Uh, the Pharisees came and asked him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? Testing him. And he answered and said to them, what did Moses command you? They said, Moses permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to dismiss her. Jesus answered and said to them, because of the hardness of your heart, he wrote you this precept. But from the beginning of the creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. So we'll stop right there. In this response, Jesus answers several questions that people are currently asking. The first thing that I want us to notice is that Jesus believed the universe was created. He believed the universe was created. He believed that God had created everything. Now, that shouldn't surprise us. Of course, the Bible teaches that. But you know, there are many Christians who struggle with that. There are Christians who say, well, you know, maybe, maybe evolution is true. And, you know, they, they kind of wrestle with these things. And uh, not to overly simplify things, but, but to put it in perspective, listen, we should believe what Jesus believed. 
Because Jesus knows. If anybody knows about origins, Jesus does. If there's any human being that ever lived in the history of the world uh, that knows about where we came from, guess who it is? It's Jesus. So if Jesus believed in a literal creation, if he believed that God created the world, then we would be, I think, foolish to challenge that or to disagree with that. So Jesus believed that the universe was created. Secondly, Jesus believed that the world began with two people. Jesus believed in Adam and Eve. Now listen, not only out in the secular atheistic culture do people scoff at such an idea, but there are many in the church world today that you would also find having a difficulty with the idea that the world began with just two human beings. God created Adam and Eve. And um, I mean, thank God, there are many great Christian scholars who will defend that still today, but there are other scholars who will question it. And they have their influences coming from, you know, all different kinds of uh, places, but, but they will sort of just be a bit hesitant. And in some cases, I mean, there, you can find books written by evangelical scholars today that just flat out say there's no such thing as Adam and Eve. Well, again, Jesus believed that there were two people created in the beginning, a man and a woman. We know from the Genesis text, their names were Adam and Eve. If Jesus believed that, I want to believe that too. Because I want to believe what Jesus believed. Because Jesus knows and he knows better than anybody in the, in the modern world. Uh, he, he knows what the facts are. But also here, we need to understand that he not only believed that the world began with two people, a man and a woman, but they were fully human at their creation. So again, this is another compromise position where some would say, well, you know, it's probably because of the strong influence of evolutionary theory, you know, there, there probably was some sort of uh, hominid and, and at a particular point in time, God touched them and turned them into humans. You know, listen, serious Bible scholars in some camps will say that. Uh, Jesus didn't believe that that was the case. Jesus believed that they were created fully human from the very uh, moment that they were brought into existence. They didn't go through any transitional process of becoming human after you know, some long, uh, long, long period of time. And that also brings us to another thing to consider Jesus believed that human beings were created at the same time as the rest of the universe. Look at what the verse says. Verse six says, from the beginning of the creation of God, or from the beginning of the creation, God 
made them male and female. So God makes them male and female at the beginning of creation, not millions of years later. Because again, this is one of the ideas. Now, of course, this is dominant idea in the general secular culture, but it's an idea that has also been brought into the church. And so the, the idea that, uh, you know, millions and millions of years passed, and then at a certain point, God, you know, finally created uh, Adam and Eve. Jesus sees them uh, created simultaneously, just like the account in Genesis would tell us. Another thing is that Jesus said God created them male and female. Now, if five years ago you would have tried to convince somebody that in the very... uh, immediate future, there would be a denial that there are male and female only, that God made humanity and pretty much all creation, really, um, as male and female. That five years ago, if you would have said that, no, there, there's going to be you know, this, this new understanding that... Um, you know, there are multiple genders and everything's fluid and we're not restricted to these biological confines and so forth. I mean, even five years ago, uh, most people would have said, that's crazy. That's, no, that's, that's not going to happen. Ten years ago, for sure, nobody could have even imagined such a thing happening. But today, in the Western world, there are, uh, of course, the, those who are the cultural elites are insistent that if you are to suggest that there are just uh, two genders, that you are some sort of nutcase, that you are some sort of problematic person who is keeping back progress. So we have entered into a state of cultural insanity, literally. Insanity is, is to be detached from reality. Now, those who promote transgenderism and all of these kinds of things, you know what they say about those who disagree with them? They say, you're on the wrong side of history. You know what I respond? You're on the wrong side of reality. You see, you're on the wrong side of reality. Now, listen. We have to understand that in this whole world, I mean, this is, there's an agenda here. This is a revolutionary thing that's happening. There are people who are sincerely confused about their gender. That's understandable. Let's help them. Let's work with them. Let's take them back and show them, look, this is how God made things. And let's be sympathetic and compassionate and all of those things. But There are a lot of people out there, that's not really their issue. Their issue is a revolutionary issue. They want to overthrow the status quo. They want to rid the world of any sense of God's order. And that's really where the the most intense battle is. 
And that's the place where, wow, we just have to pray uh, that God will break through in those areas. I mean, it almost just seems like every day in the news, because of course, much of the media is promoting this, you're finding references to and stories about and families where, you know, the, 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 the mom is now the dad or, you know, whatever uh, kind of thing that it is that's going on. Or you've got, um, as I read just yesterday, a situation where um, a man who has transitioned to be a woman has just uh, competed and, and won in an athletic competition, uh, beating all of the females. And, um, and that's, for some people, that's perfectly legit and normal. Now, the females who are working hard to compete and all of that, you know, they're really struggling. How is it that some guy comes along, says he's a girl, and now uh, he wins everything and we lose? But, but this is happening all the time. And this is the NCAA. That doesn't surprise me because if you think of the mentality on the university campuses, it just fits right with that. But let's just make sure we are clear about this reality. God created male and female. That's the way the entire world and still the majority, let's not forget, this mentality in the West is a minority mentality. This is not the majority of people in the world. There's approximately 8 billion people in the world. The vast majority of those 8 billion people are crystal clear about gender. You're either a man or a woman. The thing that I find absolutely shocking is not so much that the coffee place I go to has the all-gender bathroom, because they're wanting to be in you know, that scene as we're, we're with it. What's really shocking to me is that the hospitals... The the places of science where scientifically we know that this is the case, but the pressure is so hard that we're going to just turn all of our bathrooms into all gender bathrooms. So Jesus stated the obvious. God created them male and female. And then one other thing that we see here is that marriage is between a man and a woman. Marriage is between a man and a woman. It has always been between a man and a woman. Now, again, okay, we understand the culture doesn't regard God, doesn't think there is a God. You know, really, if there isn't a God, you can kind of just make up your own rules and who can argue with you. In some senses, that's just the way it is. But here's where, again, we get into difficulty. How is it that Christians are confused about this these days? How is it that some Christians would say, well, you know, I think the Bible's okay with same-sex relationships and same-sex marriage because, you know, what the Bible really is mostly concerned about is that we love each other. And if those people love each other, who are we to say that, that, that marriage is, is, you know, not right. Well, it's not a matter of who we are. It's a matter of what God has said. And 
the person who argues that way, which I have heard those arguments from Christians, um, that's a person who is obviously ignoring the majority of the biblical text and taking one idea in scripture and elevating it above everything else. Saying basically all that matters is love. And as long as you love, that's all that matters. And these people love each other, therefore that's all that matters. So we shouldn't um, disagree with that. Now, again, there's confusion and some of it is obviously legit and we need to be sensitive and compassionate and gracious and, and helpful and you know, do all we can. God loves people in same-sex marriages and he wants to reach them right where they're at and he wants to bring them to himself and sort out all that other confusion uh, through a process of time. But we don't concede to the culture and we don't ignore history. We don't ignore reality. And we obviously mostly do not ignore what the scripture has clearly taught from beginning to end. You can never find a single place. And I'm, and, and I'm going to talk about this in a second. But marriage originates in scripture. And there is never the slightest hint anywhere in scripture that marriage is anything other than a relationship between a man and a woman. Never even the remotest hint. So to try to impose that now on the scripture is exactly that. It's an imposition from the outside that actually has no basis in the text whatsoever. And so these are all tough questions, right? These are all challenging issues. These are all hotly um, debated topics and all kinds of emotion and everything is wrapped up with all of these things that we've just mentioned. So how do we respond to these kinds of things? And, and let me just give you one suggestion that I think if you keep this as the, the basis for your response, I think that from there, God will help us to navigate the rest of it. When it comes to responding to tough questions, we should always start with God. See, that's where we have to start. We have to start with God. Because as I said a moment ago, if there is no God, then you're kind of free to just make up the rules yourself. So we start with God. Since I believe there is a God and he has spoken, I'm going to stand on what he says. That, that's where we start. We have to take people back to this place. Is homosexuality wrong or sin if there's no God? No. How could it be? I mean, it's just your opinion versus my opinion. Is transgenderism wrong? If there's no God, then I guess, you know, if we're all just a, a, a product of random chance and so forth and you don't like who you are externally and it doesn't correspond to who you feel like internally and you want to change that, well, why not do it? You see, if there's no God, then it, it, it's pretty much just open. But everything's open if there's no God. But if there's a God who is the creator and he has spoken, then we need to listen to what he says. And 
I believe there is a God. I believe that he's spoken. I believe that he's spoken about all of these things and he has to answer to these questions. And so as we speak with people, let's always bring it back to that foundational point. There is a God. Now you might not believe there's a God, but I do believe there's a God. And I personally think the evidence for God is much stronger than your arguments against any evidence uh, that God doesn't exist. And, and that's kind of another debate, right? But that is a good, I think, uh, a starting point for navigating these things. Now, let me say this. What we cannot do, what we have to guard against doing is becoming angry and hostile and just a, a blanket condemnation. We, we have to be really wise. I don't know that there's ever been a time when Christians need more wisdom than we need today on how to respond to those things because the, the very people in some cases that are promoting so many ideas that are contrary to God's picture of reality let's not forget that some of those people could very well be people that God is going to draw to himself. Because God loves those people too, right? And he, Jesus died to save those people. And even though right now they might be champion, champ, supporting, I can't say that word right now. <laughs> Championing, yes, is that it? Even though they might do, be doing that right now for that thing that is clearly contrary to scripture, through love and grace and patience and mercy and kindness and reason and the power of the spirit, those very people could be the ones that God will turn around. I think I told this story before, but a few years ago we had a situation at our festival in the UK where a transgender uh, um, a man who transitioned to be a woman had signed up to be uh, part of our ministry team. And suddenly we're faced with this right on the spot. What do we do? And, you know, after prayer and thinking about it, the Lord just said, just don't do anything. Just go with it and love. And I'll tell you, by the end of the week, that person's response was, I've never felt so much love, and I have never understood the Bible like I understand it from my time here this week. Now, I don't know what happened after that, but we just, that's how we navigated it, as we prayed. And so God will give us wisdom and grace and those things that we need. So, but let, let's move on. So, let's move on to the the, the primary issue here, obviously, is this um, challenge of the religious leaders to Jesus about divorce. And so they want to know if they're free to divorce their wives for any reason. Now, at the time, there were two leading philosophies in the culture regarding this that came down from two 
leading rabbinical authorities. Um, one came down from the school of Shammai, and Shammai was a more rigid and strict position that um, it, it, divorce was allowed only under extreme circumstances. Uh, the other one came down from a man named Hillel, and it was a much more liberal position. And it was pretty much that, you know, if you found anything in your wife that dissatisfied you, you were free to divorce her. Now, guess which one was the most popular in the culture? It was the view of Hillel. It was that view that I can put away my wife uh, if she it just doesn't please me in whatever area. So this is the, the context of the, the question and the response of Jesus. So see what Jesus does? He goes all the way back to the beginning. He says, well, let's just go back to God. Let's go back to what God intended. Forget Hillel, forget Shammai, forget uh, even what happened with Moses because Moses permitted you to do this because your hearts were hard. But let's go back to what God intended. And so there are just a few things that I want us to see here. And I've already spoken about one of them, but let me just say it again. The Bible teaches that God invented marriage. Marriage is God's thing. God created uh, this institution, if you will. And since it's God's institution, it, it, we are not free to uh, adjust it according to our likes or dislikes. Now, some years ago when I was studying on the subject of marriage, uh, I was reading different theories about where marriage originated. And there are a b- bunch of different ideas. And um, I, I think the most popular one was that uh, marriage originated among the French. And, you know, probably during the Middle Ages. And you thought, okay, well, yeah, the French are kind of known for being romantic and all of that. So, so but, th- but this is kind of the conventional wisdom. The French began marriage, and, and now, you know, we are just taking it to uh, another level or whatever it is that we might be doing. But, no, the French didn't invent marriage. God did way back in the very beginning. And that's what Jesus uh, reminds them of. And, and remember that Jesus himself performed his very first miracle at a wedding. So in a sense, Jesus, by performing his first miracle at a wedding, he was in a sense putting his stamp on what God had begun in the um, very beginning of human history. So marriage is invented by God. Therefore, it's a very serious thing. It's something that we have to take seriously. And of course, we all know this in our culture. We have not done that. And we have not even done that in the church. We know that as well. Even in some cases in the church, people just go in and out of marriage. And, but, but this is obviously the wrong Approach because God invented it and it is a, a very serious thing. And it calls, as Jesus makes clear here in the next couple of verses, 
it calls for fidelity. And so Jesus said in verse 11, whoever divorces his wife and marries another commits adultery against her. If a woman divorces her husband and marries another, she commits adultery. So Jesus says that this is uh, a very serious matter and to violate the fidelity uh, within the marriage is to actually break the command. And remember, uh, the Ten Commandments contain the commandment, you shall not commit adultery. So, but why did God create marriage? Well, God created marriage for a number of reasons, and I'll just mention three uh, or four. Um, He created marriage as a place where we could experience a certain level of love, uh, a unique level of love. You know, from the biblical picture, marriage is, is a good thing. It's good. It's God's good gift to people. So to experience love, to know companionship. Now, companionship, of course, is like a partnership. It's people joined together, working together, helping, supporting one another with the goal of fulfillment and joy and and those kinds of things. So love, companionship, and friendship. There's a difference between companionship and friendship. You can be somebody's companion in one sense, but not necessarily have a deep friendship. But the friendship part is something that's important, and God wants us to experience that that depth of friendship within marriage. I always say to people who are thinking about getting married, um, make sure you're best friends. That's, that's what you want as the foundation of your marriage. So there's love, there's companionship, there's friendship. And as we read on in the passage, there's family. There's children. And so we go naturally into this incident where the children are being brought to Jesus. And and the children are the the fruit. Remember when God uh, called uh, Adam and Eve to be fruitful and to multiply and to fill the earth. So reproduction. Children being born. This is, this is all part of the, of the picture. Now, obviously, there are exceptions. Sometimes people can't have children and all of that. And there's, that's not wrong or bad. It's just the way it is in a fallen world. But God's primary objective here was to um, procreate. And the two become one flesh. And there's, boy, sometimes I, I look at my kids and I think, wow, there's a, there's a living example right there of the two becoming one flesh. You know, one, one thing they say sounds just like their mother, other thing they say sounds just like me. <laughs> it's like, wow, there it is. What, you know, they're, they're one, both of us combined. But this is, The whole point here now, remember, these guys are coming to Jesus and they want a way out of marriage. They want to justify themselves in 
uh, divorcing their wives. But the whole thing that, that Jesus is pointing them back to is you guys, you have the whole, you just have a completely wrong picture. God brought this into existence as a blessing. That's what it is. It's a blessing. God wants to bless you through it. And he wants to bless you with love. He wants to bless you with companionship. He wants to bless you with friendship. He wants to bless you with a family. And those are the blessings that come with marriage. Now, here's an important question that is asked a lot today. Uh, and it, especially important in the context of the church. Is marriage God's best for people? In other words, every Christian or every person who comes to faith in Jesus who is not married is the next thing on the agenda for them to get married. Um, or is that the ultimate goal? Now, for some, yes. For some, yes, because that's God's will. God has a plan and he's going to bring two people together and through that union, he's going to bring other life and so forth. And so, yes, uh, marriage is God's best for some people. But we would have to say for others, the answer is no. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because there has been, in some senses, in the Christian culture, a little bit of, um, I think, unintentional for the most part, but, but a little bit of uh, idolizing marriage, and sort of just thinking like, well, you know, you've got to be married. And if you're a Christian, you're not married. Something's wrong with you. And, uh, you know, wow, what, you're 40 years old and you're not married yet? What's, what's going on? And, oh, let's pray for you. And, hey, let me try to find you a wife or a husband. Or, um, and and that, that kind of thing. Like I said, I think it's unintentional. But I think sometimes we've misunderstood. Not everyone's called to be married. And God blesses people outside of marriage in wonderful ways. And this is where we have to understand that the church, you see, the things that married people can find in marriage, but not exclusively in marriage. We need to find it beyond that as well. But the things that married people find in marriage are the things that unmarried people are to be able to find in the church. See, because God's picture of the church is a family. It, God's picture of the church is a place where you come and you, you inherit fathers and mothers and sisters and brothers and children and aunts and uncles and, and those kinds of things. You know, there, there are some people in the church that are never going to get married. Some of them have no desire. Some of them have no opportunity. Some of them struggle with desires for uh, the same sex, and they recognize that this is um, not right, and therefore they're never going to succumb to that. They're going to live a, a sanctified, holy life sexually. But they still have needs. They have emotional needs. They have needs for deep friendship and companionship and love and those kinds of things. And this is where the church comes in to make up for those areas where there's a lack. 
And let's not forget that the Lord Jesus was single. And let's not forget that the Apostle Paul was single. And not only was Paul single, he encouraged singleness. He said, look, I'm not trying to, you know, put any kind of a trip on you, but the single person is way less distracted when it comes to serving the Lord. The married person has natural obligations. So Paul's, Paul's, uh, sort of plea in 1 Corinthians 7 is that more people would consider that living the way he's living is, as far as impact for the Lord, you can be more impactful. So, how can a person be fulfilled if they're not married? Well, like I said, life in the family of God, that's where those kinds of things come together. Now, I want to close because the point that I'm making here, like I said, is this whole picture of these relationships. And remember, God is a relational God by nature. He's triune. There's Father, Son, Holy Spirit. For all eternity, God has lived in this communion between these three persons. And now he creates human beings to experience that same kind of communion, that same kind of community uh, amongst ourselves. But, but just this whole picture of, of family and this whole picture of, of just the idea of, of all of us being together and, and being blessed and, and enjoying one another and life and all of those things, that's God's plan. And all those sin is screwed everything up, Jesus came to reverse all of that. And one day, it's all gonna be sorted out. But in the meantime, we have the church and we have the power of the Spirit and God's word to instruct us where we can actually experience on some level those things that are yet to come. But let me read you a passage that describes what is yet to come. Thus says the Lord, Zechariah 8, 3 through 5. I will return to Zion and dwell in the midst of Jerusalem. (coughs) Jerusalem shall be called the city of truth, the mountain of the Lord of hosts, the holy mountain. Thus says the Lord of hosts, listen to this. Old men and old women shall again sit in the streets of Jerusalem each one with their staff in their hand because of great age. The streets of the city shall be full of boys and girls playing there. This to me is so amazing because this is God's picture of a great, great day. And you know what? I agree with God. What a great day to just sit on the porch and just have a good old time and watch the kids playing out in the street and no fear, no danger, no threat, no nothing, just joy. That's what God intended when he created in the beginning, male and female, be fruitful and multiply. God 
intended to just bring a whole massive family into existence so that we could spend our lives and eternity together, enjoying one another and enjoying him. One day, because of what Jesus did and will yet do, the whole world will become one great big family picnic. (laughs) That's where we're going, to a great big family picnic. Isn't that great? Isn't that great? And, and just to, in closing, just to say again, all this, again, the, the, these Pharisees are pushing against, you know, this restriction. Moses said we could get out of this. Jesus was like, you guys don't even, you have no idea what you're even, what, what are you doing? God brought this into existence to bless you. And you're fighting against it. And, and so is every person today. Everyone today who says, I don't want to do it God's way. I don't like that this is the way it is. And why did God make me like this if there's a God? I don't believe in God. And all of that pushing against, what does it create? It just creates strife and contention and misery. And you know what happens when you surrender all of that, when you let go of that, when you just recognize, no, God knows what he's doing, and you submit to that? Man, Life gets way better. So don't resist. Don't come up with little loopholes to try to get out of what God said. Do what God said. And you'll be happy you did. So Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you that you've given us a clear... uh, understanding of things, a firm foundation to stand upon and to base our life upon and to uh, help other people understand. And, and so just continue to build on that. And Lord, we do think of people today. We think of people that are messed up and confused and uh, disoriented. And uh, some of them are just that way because of hard experiences in life. Lord, have mercy on them. Lead them to the light. Bring healing. And Lord, there are some that are just downright rebels. They're just fighting against you tooth and nail. And Lord, you even save rebels. So we pray for salvation for those that are rebelling. And we pray for ourselves that you'd help us to be, Lord, gracious and patient and kind and loving, long-suffering, prayerful, Lord, help us to keep our eyes fixed on you, to continue to trust you as we go forward in this crazy world. Lord, with the absolute confidence that you're going to sort it all out. Oh, we thank you for that. We look forward to that. Lord, I pray for anyone today who needs to just... whatever way yield themselves to you help them to do that now in Jesus name amen